If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Today's message is about the results of justification. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, the first four chapters of the book of Romans, what we've already preached, talk about justification by faith. They talk about our need to be justified. They talk about the fact that we have angered God, that we have disobeyed God, and we deserve God's wrath. Things are not right between man and God. And chapters 1, 2, and 3 chronicle our need for justification by faith, our need to be made right with God. And then chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, chronicles God's provision of justification by faith in Christ. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at chapter 4, and it chronicles how we receive that provision of God's justification in Christ by faith alone. Jim spoke of it often this morning in worship. And now in chapter 5, the letter to to the church at Rome takes a turn. And now Paul is going to begin to speak to the Romans about the fruits of justification. We need justification by faith. God has provided justification in Christ. We receive it by faith. Now, Romans 5, 1 through 11, it's going to talk about the fruits of justification. What does justification by faith produce in the life of a believer, of someone who believes God has justified us in Christ? So let's read about that justification by faith and its fruits in verses 1 to 11. But let me pray for you first. Let me pray for all of us. I want to pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, God the Son, that God the Holy Spirit would open our minds, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and give us fresh faith for the fruits of justification by faith. So let's pray. Lord, I understand that there are many in this room right now in different places. There are some that are leaning forward, excited about what they're about to hear from your word. There are others that are sort of used to be excited, but right now they're not quite sure. They're distracted by many thoughts, many things. And there are some in this room that don't understand. Their hearts are legitimately shut to this truth. They're not believers. Lord, thank you that they're here. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would now send your Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to open all of our hearts and minds and eyes and ears and loosen my tongue to preach this message the way you want and build your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the text together, shall we, church? You ready? All right. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces 
character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one could dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Whenever a passage begins with therefore, we must ask ourselves, what is that therefore, therefore? And in Romans 5.1, that therefore is there to point back to Romans chapter 1, verses or chapters 1 through 4. It's there to point back to justification by faith. Look at the text. Romans 5.1. Therefore, comma, since we have been justified by faith. What we're going to read now in the following verses, all the way through verse 11, are the fruits of justification by faith. They are the fruits of Christ's labor for us not our own labors. They are the fruits of Christ's work, not our work. So let's take a look at the fruits of justification. Point one, the first fruit of justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the blessing in the Old Testament that was called the Shalom of God. The Hebrews believed that God would make peace with his people. And this peace included the cessation of hostilities. Shalom, peace. It included many things. These hostilities between God and man, between God and us, have ceased. And the one who caused them to cease is God. He is the one who accomplished this by delivering his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Look at 425. Who was delivered up for our trespasses, that is to say, Jesus and raised for our justification. God caused the hostilities to cease because God put forward a peace offering. What 325 calls a propitiation. Look at 325. Whom God put forward, speaking of Jesus, as a propitiation by His blood. Listen, friends. Peace with God is not something that we could ever achieve. God initiated it. Because we never would have, and God made it possible because we never could have. 
We would never have cared about the hostilities between us and God unless God, by His Spirit, had convicted us of those hostilities. And we could never have offered up the appropriate peace offering if God had not delivered up Jesus to take His wrath against us. But, oh, friends, He did both. He did both. So we have peace with God as fruit of our justification. This is captured in the beautiful hymn before the throne of God above. Verse 1, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Romans 3.26 says this, that because of the cross, because God initiated the cessation of hostilities by putting the wrath that I deserve on Jesus and giving me the righteousness that Jesus earns, that God is able to justify the unjust, that's us, And remain just. Oh friends. Justification by faith. Means that we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what he did. Have the hostilities between you and God ceased? They can but not through anything you can do. There's no work that you can do to atone for your sins. They can only cease if you place your faith in what Christ has done. And if you do, those hostilities cease, dear friends. On Christ, our sins have been placed so that by faith in what Christ has done, we are justified and we have peace with God. And if you have that peace with God by faith, then you have something else. You have a second fruit of justification by faith. And that second fruit is found in verse 2. Look at it. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith, into this grace in which we stand. Friends, the second fruit is we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Oh, this speaks of not just the cessation of hostilities, that Jesus took the wrath that we deserve, that peace between us and God is now possible. No, this talks about now true friendship. This talks about true friendship. This talks about our standing before God on a consistent basis, day in and day out, based upon what Jesus has done. It is received, as we learned at the end of chapter 3 and in chapter 4, it is received as a gift from God by faith. It is not earned as a wage by works. It's based on what Christ did, not on what we can do. Listen, here's the idea. If you are guilty before a judge, and if you go to court, and you stand before that judge, and you know you're guilty, 
And somehow by a miracle, someone comes in and knocks down the gavel and says, not guilty. And you're shocked. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. You're not saying anything, but you're like, whoa, I, I did do that. I did that and that and that. But you find out that suddenly the penalty for your transgression is put on someone else. The judge says, not guilty. What is your impetus at that moment? To get out of Dodge quickly. I'm getting out of the court. I'm getting out of the courtroom. I'm getting in my car. I'm driving as far as I can go. Because you know what? Maybe that judge is going to change his mind. Because I know I am guilty. I don't want to hang out with the judge. But this grace in which we stand now is taking us from the courtroom where we have been forensically, legally made right with God into the living room where God now takes off his robe as judge and we sit with him as our father. We're going to see that in just a moment. So that I don't just run into God's presence when I've obeyed him and, oh yeah, I'm going to hang out with God because you know, I've done a bunch of good things this week. But then when I disobey him, I run out because I know he's not happy with me. No, no, this is the grace by which we stand. Look at the word there in verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith, by faith, into this grace in which we what? Stand. The grace in which we stand. We don't just visit God. We live with God. I mean, a picture of this just hit me this week. I, you know, I've got four children, five grandchildren, sixth one on the way. And, and I rarely get to have lunch with my children anymore. They're all doing different things. They're busy. Two of them are married. And so one of my married daughters, Vanessa, said, hey, Dad, let's have lunch. And I was, I was like a little kid, man, at Christmas. Having lunch with my daughter. <laughs> Drove over to uh, On the Border. And we just sat and we enjoyed each other's fellowship. She's my daughter. This is the kind of great, this is one of the fruits of justification. He's our father. We stand before him, not based on my obedience, but on Christ's. Good day, bad day. I stand. He's my dad. He's my father. I love being with him. This is a fruit of righteousness. This is the promise that Israel had in the Old Testament. They were the son of God, so to speak. And this was the promise the shalom meant. I've got peace. I'm not running in and out of God's presence. I'm not scared that the judge is going to change his mind. Oh, friends, this is the glory of God. And this is another fruit of righteousness. It says in verse Two, though we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and and we rejoice, at the end of verse 2 there, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Number three, fruit, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Justification by faith produces in us peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification by faith produces us the grace in us, the grace to be able to come and stand before God as our dad. We're not running in and out based on our obedience, but we just stand there. Here we are, dad. Good day, bad day. When I've been a good boy, when I've been a bad boy, you're dad. I stand here because it's Christ's obedience. And justification by faith, it, it gives me a rejoicing. A rejoicing in what? In the hope of the glory of God. Well, what is that, Al? This is the glory that we forfeited because of our sin. Look at Romans 1, 22 to 23. Remember I told you that Romans 1, 2, and 3, and 4 tells us how we 
need to be made right with God? Well, here's one of those examples. Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they, and that's us, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the glory we forfeited. We exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. In fact, Romans 3.23, another text that we studied a few weeks ago, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Friends, this is the glory that we were made for. This is the glory that every man, every woman seeks. Sometimes we seek it in sports, and drugs, and sex, and success, and money. It's the glory we seek in friends. You hang out with your friends. You live for your friends. You want to be filled with something. You were made for glory. The problem is you and I substitute all kinds of things for that glory, except the glory we were made for. Because we've exchanged it for a lie. Here's the good news. Jesus won it back for us. Oh, good news, man. Good news. You cannot get that glory on your own. You got it? Jesus, though, wins it for you. Look at this text. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. What a text. What a text. This text alone should just fuel you for the next 14 gazillion years. Here it is. You want hope? Here's hope. But we... See him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory. The glory we forfeited. Jesus is crowned with it. And honor because of what? Because of what? Our God is amazing. The suffering of death. If we could fix that, that'd be great. So that by the grace of God, by the grace of God, he might test death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons, and that's sons and daughters, to glory. He brings us to glory. He busts through with glory. Here I am. Here's the sons and daughters. And we're like, yeah. This is what I was made for. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Oh, friends, the glory of God is what you were made for. And the glory of God is what you forfeited. And it's your fault. You forfeited it. You exchanged it for something that's worthless. But Jesus, Jesus restores it to you. That's a fruit of your justification by faith. Augustine, a 5th century church father, the Bishop of Hippo, a modern day city in Algeria, or a city in modern-day Algeria, said the following, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Is your heart restless, dear one? If it is, it's because you're substituting a glory that was never intended to give you rest. Not even FSU winning the national title in football. (laughs) Or the Gators winning the national title in basketball. I joke, you know what I'm saying, right? For you, it may not be that. It may be money, maybe security, maybe friends, maybe career, maybe figuring something out, your kids. It's not going to work. There's one glory, and it's the glory of God. Christ in our hearts, that's where we find rest the true glory for which we were made, the only glory that fully satisfies the glory of God in Christ, and the hope is ours it's ours and friends it is only that glory that sustains us in this fallen world point four another fruit of justification by faith we rejoice 
in our sufferings. Huh? (laughs) Excuse me, did I hear you correctly? Well, yes, you did, because that's what it says in the text here. Look at verse 3. Not only that, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, verse 2b. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings, why? Well, knowing that sufferings, continuing to read for verse 3, produce endurance. Suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. The English word there for suffering comes from the Greek word phlipsis. It's a good good word if you want to make your tongue laugh. Phlipsis. And the word has a range of meaning that includes suffering, as it's translated here, tribulation, as we're going to see it's translated in other passages, oppression, affliction, trouble. What all these things capture would be the intense pressure that all of us experience on this earth from physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. Jesus used this word, translated tribulation, in John 16, b to encourage our hearts to trust him alone. Here it is. In the world you will have tribulation, philipsis. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul used the exact same Greek word in Acts 14, 22 to strengthen our souls, to continue in faith. Paul, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, philipsis, we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to host a Cuban pastor. Actually, he's the dean, the academic dean for the Eastern Baptist uh, Association's seminary in Santiago de Cuba. His name is Gabriel. Gabriel, you're not here, are you, this morning? I know he's traveling around. He's visiting all different seminaries. Anyways, so we're in a small group and we're discussing about how God's grace motivates us for the mission, motivates us as pastors. So it's a small group of pastors meeting in this Miami cohort uh, for the gospel. And uh, we're in this small group and we were doing some discussion questions. And uh, so we were talking about what we really need because, you know, God's grace supplies what we need. And, And so we said, so what do we really need? And Gabriel says, we need tribulation. Everybody looks at him like, okay, you're from Cuba, right? (laughs) He read this passage. And he says, we do need tribulation. That's what this text, I mean, only a Cuban would say that. I mean, I I love hearing from them. Their perspective is so different because where they live is just so challenging oftentimes. But he's right. He's right. Because listen, we need tribulation to mature us. We need tribulation to produce in us. We need this suffering, this flipsis to produce in us according to the text. What? What does it say there? Verse 3. Sufferings produce endurance. Endurance. What is endurance? Endurance is that single-mindedness to endure, to see what's really true. Suffering is a great way to clear your head of all the, the stuff that has just got you a little bit complicated. Suffering refocuses me on what's really, really important. And then what does endurance produce? Endurance produces, what does it say there? Character, verse 4. Character. Really, the way you could translate that is a testedness. So endurance produces a testedness. It produces sort of like a veteran. If you're in sports, it's not a rookie anymore who's in his first championship game, but this is a veteran who's been there many times. Kind of like the Gators basketball team filled with seniors. 
They know what it is to be in the championship game. They've been tested. So sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, a testedness, a confidence in God. And what does character produce, friends? Look at verse 4. And character produces hope. 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 Hope's important. I would say this. Hope fuels what you do. Hope hope is what gets you up at 5 in the morning to go do CrossFit. Hope in a better body, in a healthier body. Hope, Hope is what causes you to spend all that money on that graduate degree. And to study all those late night hours when you have a full-time job and kids. Hope what? For a better job. Let me tell you something. And I've been to a country where people have lost hope. When you lose hope, you quit. Hope is vital. Hope is vital. In fact, the Bible itself tells us in Hebrews 11.6, defining faith, it says that faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. I mean, you lose hope. Faith doesn't have anything to be the substance of. It's vital. It's vital. And it says here that character produces hope. Your life will have no, you will be meaningless and and directionless without hope. Sufferings produce endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Sufferings are a blessing for mankind, for humanity. It's the stuff of life. You lose your hope, life has no meaning. But here's the deal. All of those things that we hope for, all of those things that get us up at night or early in the morning, all those things, all those hopes, one day they're going to disappoint us, friends. But not this hope. Look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Does not put us to shame. That's another way of saying it won't disappoint us. You won't be ashamed of this hope. You won't be ashamed of having hope in God and getting up every morning and seeking God because you're justified by faith, because you have peace with God, because you have hope of the glory of God. That hope will never disappoint. One day when Jesus returns, you're going to go, yeah, that one was fulfilled. Everything else I was hoped for is going to let you down. Trust me. This one won't. This one won't. And the reason it won't, the reason it won't is because, look at verse 5. Oh, follow this one. And hope does not put us to shame, won't disappoint you, won't let you down, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Now, we have to slow down here for a moment, okay? So slow down a little bit in your thinking. I'm going to slow down in my speaking. This is the first mention of the Holy Spirit working in Christians in the book of Romans. It's the first mention. So let's slow down a little bit, shall we? Because what we have in front of us here is a picture of the Trinity relating to humanity in redemption. Very important stuff here. Okay, The Trinity relating to humanity in redemption. The Trinity. We have, it's one God, three persons. That's the Trinity. One God, three persons. God the Father, who sent Jesus Christ, God the Son. Jesus lived the perfect life you couldn't live, died the death for your sins. Then God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. 
40 days later, God the Son ascended into heaven, and then God the Father and God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit. That's what we have here. This is the economy of the Trinity, how it functions together. So you got that? Okay. So the Spirit has been given to those who are justified by faith. This is one of the gifts of God. It's the Holy Spirit that takes us from the courtroom into the living room. Right? I mean, I mean look, what, look, what his, look what his job is right here. We're going to see his role later in Romans 8. But look at this in Romans 5.5. 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, I could intellectually understand, and we're going to look at it in a moment, that God loves me. I'm going to look at the proof of it. It's the cross, actually. We're going to look at that at verse 8 in a moment. But this, this text tells me that the Holy Spirit experientially pours this love into my heart. It's an important role of the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, first of all, thank you for coming. I really am so grateful that you've come. But I want you to know that it's God the Holy Spirit who's here amongst us. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for your sins, if you're one of God's people. God the Father didn't die on the cross, Jesus did. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross, Jesus did. But the Holy Spirit's role is to apply that redemptive work to your heart. The Holy Spirit's role is to make your dead heart, that's what the Bible calls your heart if you're not a believer, dead. You can't understand this. Your ears are blocked. Your eyes are shut. But our hope and faith is as we preach to your shut ears and hold up this Bible before your blind eyes that suddenly God the Holy Spirit will come and you have light and you can see. I saw this internet um, video. Uh, It's a video of the first time that a woman could hear in England. Has anybody seen that? Amazing. She had the cochlear implants, you know, those implants so that they can hear. She'd never heard. She was in her 30s. And her friend was videoing it with her little iPhone camera. And this woman just starts weeping and weeping and weeping. You know, it's Britain, so the the nurse is being very precise. And she goes, can you hear me? (laughs) This lady loses it. She just starts sobbing. Okay, I'm going to go through the months of the year. January, February. Ah! I mean, finally, even the British lady, who are, you know, stiff upper lip and all that, she just, she just hugs her. I mean, it's like, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Can you hear me? I'm not giving you the months of the year. I'm giving you the word of God. Would you hear it? This is why some people cry when, when God does save them. Doesn't, you don't have to. I didn't cry when I was saved. Mine took time as I read the word, but the same Holy Spirit helped me understand it. This is what we have going here. And even more than that, look at this work of the Holy Spirit. I want you to jump to Romans 8, please. I can't remember if I put that text up here or not, but if I didn't. Ah, there it is. Romans 8. Look at the work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, guys, remember I told you that, that the, book, the, the letter of Romans turns a corner at, in chapter 5? Chapters 1 to 4 are about justification by faith. Now, chapters 5 to 8 are about hope. They're about, right now, the fruits of that justification. But chapters 5 to 8 are sort of the hope that justification by faith births at us. It's going to talk about sanctification. It's going to talk about glorification, okay? And it's interesting. 
What we're studying today, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, is very similar to chapter 8, verses 14 to 39, at the end of this section. So it's almost like those two sections of Scripture are like bookends around the hope that the justification by faith produces in believers, the fruit of it. Listen to how the Holy Spirit's described in chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. There's that Jesus restoring sons and daughters to glory. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Friends, the Holy Spirit bears witness to our hearts. We go out of the courtroom. We go into the living room. We are now children of God. We have grace of God. This is the spirit of adoption. Later, we're going to read that in chapter 8. He's this gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God. Unbeliever, I pray that you would see it and hear it. Do you hear me now? And it's all based on the love of God. Look at verse 8. This Holy Spirit who pours God's love into our hearts, and now you ask me, what does the love of God mean? Is it just some nebulous thing? Oh, no, no, no. Here is the love of God. Read verse 8 with me. Look what it says. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. Oh, what love. If you look at verses 6, 7, and 8, really all three of these verses describe the love of God that the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts. Listen, we're described in verse 6 as weak people. We're described at the end of verse 6 as ungodly people. In verse 7 it says that it's for these weak and ungodly people, these people that aren't worth it that Jesus died. In fact, verse 7 argues from logic. It says, listen, I can see dying for a good person. I can see dying for like the next great leader of the world. I can see dying for the person that's going to discover some great cure to cancer. Okay, that guy deserves it, or even for a family member. But here's God's love. He died for a bunch of weak, ungodly sinners. Oh, what love! Oh, what love! It's that love that's poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's that love that guarantees that the hope you have in Jesus, produced by endurance that produces character, that hope will never disappoint you, though every other hope will, because that hope is guaranteed it's based on God's love that you just don't hear me talking about right now, but the Holy Spirit pours into your heart. You experience it subjectively. You know it objectively. Oh, don't doubt God's love. Don't, I know your sufferings would make you want to. Don't doubt it. God's proved his love for you by the death of his son on the cross. He's poured out his love for you through his Holy Spirit objectively in history and subjectively in experience. God has given you good grounds for believing His love. It is His love that gives you a clear grasp of His justification of you by faith alone, resting on God's grace alone. And it is that understanding and experience of justification by faith alone that allows you to rejoice in your sufferings so that your sufferings would produce endurance and your endurance would produce character and your character would produce hope that does not disappoint. Suffering with a clear grasp 
of justification will drive us to the one real hope and confidence in this life, and that is God. Suffering is God's gift to you. Keller says it this way. If you face suffering with a clear grasp of justification by grace alone, your joy in that grace will deepen. On the other hand, if you face suffering with a mindset of justification by works, the suffering will break you, not make you. Oh, friends, suffering is like this this, uh, CT scan of our life. Suffering shows me where I have subtly started relying on my own works. Suffering exposes where I really look for hope. Thank you, God. It is when we suffer that we discover what we are really trusting and hoping in, ourselves or God. Have mercy on us, God, to rest and trust in you. No other hope suffices. And this hope, dear friends, oh, my friends, number five, it produces in us an assurance of our salvation. This is the fifth fruit of justification, assurance of salvation. Look at verses nine and 10. Since therefore, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, we have been justified by his blood much more Look at verse 9. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, similar construction. There's a fancy word for that? I'll tell you in a moment because I've got to read it because I forgot it. Verse 10, since therefore, since therefore we have been reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, that much more there, you see that in both of these verses, much more shall we be saved by his life. This argument in verses 9 and 10, is designed to give us assurance of our salvation. And this argument is called a fortiori. A fortiori. And that's that much more. And what it says is this. If one thing happened, actually the harder thing, much more, this other thing's going to happen. So if, if God wonderfully justifies us by the blood of Jesus, which he has, much more will he deliver us from the eschatological wrath on the last day. This is the courtroom illustration. Remember the wrath on the last day? Let me refresh your memory. Look back at chapter 2, verse 5. Remember chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 talk about our need for justification, God's supplying of it in Christ, and our receiving of it in faith. Well, chapter 2 shows us our need. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. But because your hard and unpenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. That's the day spoken of here when God's righteous judgment will will be revealed. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking, are you self-seeking this morning? And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Okay. (laughs) Let's get into some good news here, Al. Uh, Back to chapter 5, verse 9. If I have been justified by the blood of Christ, that's justification by faith, which I have, much more will I be saved from that day of wrath. Friends, the the judge has pronounced us righteous. And we can be sure of that. Assurance of salvation. And the Father has welcomed us home. Look at verse 10. If God has done the great thing of reconciling us to himself, this is now relationship uh, uh, communication. The first was more legal communication. This is now relationship. He's reconciled us. We're his friends. We know that the spirit of adoption, we're his sons and his daughters. If God has done this great thing of reconciling us to himself while we were his enemies, this is amazing, guys. He took the initiative to reconcile us while we were his enemies. It's amazing. 
Amazing grace. Much more by the death of his son. Much more will we be saved by his life. What this is talking about is the resurrection life. What we have here is now this is the living room. This is what we have. We have this tension between the already and the not yet. What we have here is what the Bible says. We have been saved. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are being saved. We have access into this grace by which we stand today. And we will be saved. The resurrection life of Christ. Look, there are some things that I haven't been saved yet from. Saved from yet. I've been saved from the power of sin, but not its presence. Just come to my house some Monday morning. You'll see the presence of sin right here. Bad attitude. Especially when my wife brings a wonderful comment that I need to hear. I just don't want to hear it on Monday morning. I'm the man of God, sweetheart. I've just preached a message yesterday. Leave me alone and just worship me this morning. (laughs) Tell me everything I want to hear about myself. Thank you. But honey, I love you. And on our walks on Monday morning, you've asked me to just share with you so we can, yeah. Hmm, I said that? (laughs) Okay, so the presence of sin. But I've 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 been delivered from its power. I'm not going to hell. Listen, this body is old. It's hurting. My back hurts this morning. No reason at all. I'm just standing there. It's like, oh, man, my back's really hurting me. What's going on? What's happening to me? <laughs> I can't see. I got these bags underneath my eyes. But one day, one day, I have been reconciled to God by the death of Jesus Christ. One day, the Bible tells me I'm going to have an immortal body. Never going to die. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. But I know it's an immortal body in a new heavens and a new earth. Jokingly, I say, I'm going to be able to dunk the ball. Boom. Just, what would that feel like? Just dunk it, bam, and just come down and go, yeah! I've never been able to do that, okay? I can barely grab the strings at the bottom of the net. But one day, I'm going to have that body. I don't have it yet. But I have assurance of it. When that day comes, my hope is not going to be disappointed because I know the love of God. I'm assured of the salvation to come. I love what uh, Schreiner says here. Those who are friends of God can be secure in the confidence that his friendship will never end. Friends, the best is yet to come. Don't give up. Don't give up. (laughs) This hope is for reals. As my kids used to say. And listen, because all of this is true, here's the greatest fruit of justification. Number six, we rejoice in God himself. Look at verse 11. I love the way verse 11 begins. Much more than. Really? There's more than all that? That's pretty amazing what I've just read, uh, Paul. Yes, but much more than. Much more than. Here is the bottom line. You get God himself. That's the fruit of justification by faith. Much more than. We also rejoice in God Through our Lord Jesus Christ, he began this list of fruits of justification by faith alone with we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends the list saying we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To make it very clear, it is based on Christ's work, not mine. But I do need to respond to Christ's work. The root sin of mankind, as we learn in Romans 1, 21 to 23 that we just read, is that man refuses to honor and glorify God. But the result of justification, as we learn here, is that man rejoices and honors and glorifies God. We rejoice in God based on grace, not law. 
We rejoice in God based upon what Christ has done, not what we can do. We rejoice in God because we rejoice in the fact that He has shared His glory with us through Jesus Christ who justifies us. We're adopted. We rejoice in God because that's the mark of a Christian who understands justification by faith. Do you have joy in your life right now? Oh, I pray you do. That is the greatest fruit, joy in God, that justification by faith brings. Let's pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Lord God, I pray right now that you would have each one of us just, our heads are spinning. Our heads are spinning. Wonderfully so. We're delighted beyond anything we could understand because of the truths of justification by faith. Lord, I pray that those fruits of justification by faith would be in my life, would be in our life as a church. Lord, that we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that we rejoice in this great grace that gives us access to you. We rejoice, oh God, in the hope of the glory that is yours. Lord, we even rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance, character and character, hope. And your hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't let us down because your love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. A love proved on the cross. Lord God, we have assurance of our salvation. If you've done this now, how much more will you do that later? And Lord God, we rejoice in you. So we want to do that right now as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's rejoice in God, shall we, together in song.